I'm going to have a baby right now. It's the return to tradition. Welcome home, my son. It's the return to the great outdoors. Summer camp. Our Amanda's already skipped two grades. How about your boy? Probation. It's the return of family values. You still desire me, the old ball and chain? Forever. I'll get them. Adam's family values. What? I didn't say anything. That's the baby's nickname. What? Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, November 19th at Theatres Everywhere. And welcome back to Cinemarcade. This is the podcast about movies, video games, and the sparks that fly when those two worlds collide. My name is Steve Guntley, and today we are finishing up our mini series on the live action Adam's Family movies. Today, talking about Adam's Family Values. Uh, let me check my notes here. Uh, this is the best movie ever made. Uh, yeah, yeah, according to my notes, it is the best movie ever made. So that's exciting for us. I think we need to uh, verify the validity of these notes. Uh, no, it's on Snopes. Yeah, they they, they ran that through. It looks, looks good. <laughs> it looks good. Um, yes, like I said, my name is Steve Gunley. Who is joining me today? Uh, nobody, nobody flying uh, it's me justin this time for number two literally everybody was mid-yawn when i asked that i timed that in the exact wrong moment <laughs> late night recording uh i'm jayban welcome jayban and uh we have a special guest with us here today we're very excited uh joining us uh uh, uh a- his name's steve he is, yeah. He's a great guy. He's got these awesome glasses and stuff. Everyone thinks he's super buff. Uh, no, that's not true. Wait, uh, hold on. Wait, are we still talking about you or me? Oh no, we're back. We're back onto you. Okay, now. we're back glasses onto you. Glasses and now. buff as me, right? Oh yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, we get those confused all the time. Uh, Hayato D'Souza is here. Welcome. Hello. How are you? Hold on. I'm doing great. Oh, excited was... to have you. Yeah, I'm excited. This is my um, podcast debut. Ooh. Oh, really? Uh, make sure that we maintain our all glasses. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So now we're all glasses around the table. That's yeah. uh, That makes me feel a little safer, actually, finally. I, for uh, those listening, I take them off sometimes, even though I can't see literally anything without them. Th- that's scary that you're driving around. But, oh, I wear them when I drive. I take oh, them good. off when I'm here. Uh, well, we're excited to have Hayato. Now, we, we had uh, uh, reached out and asked if you wanted to guest on some episodes, and you kind of marked down some ones you were interested in. But Adam's Family Values was the one where you claimed that you would, I, I'm quoting you here, your feelings would be directly hurt if we did not have you on for this one. Uh, what, why did you feel so strongly about Adam's Family Values? Mm, this is correct. I think uh, Adam's Family has always been like a really cool movie, and I think a very uh, concept that I really like. But... This movie specifically is uh, just wild in how gay it is. And, like, <laughs> it's very gay, yeah. It's so, like, gay on its surface, but then, like, subversively gay. And, like, it is just, uh, it was so, so formative in, like, much of my, my like, comedy style or maybe, like, story style. Um, and uh, I just wanted to uh, be a very queer voice talking about it. And I mean, I, we're excited for that uh, because the, the the screenwriter here is a guy named Paul Rudnick, who is who was kind of like the preeminent writer of queer comedies in the '90s. Like he did Adam's Family Values, he did In and Out, um, a couple other. I forget what else he did. He had a couple of other movies that were like big, sort of mainstream 
Sister Act, uh, Stepford Wives, uh, things like that. Oh, he wrote Marcy X. Jesus, that's a terrible movie. Uh, yeah, but he's written some good movies too, including, I would argue, Adam's Family Values. Um, we talked a little bit about the first, well, we talked a lot about the first movie last week. Uh, <laughs> we did. We, we dedicated a whole episode to it, basically. Uh, shocking. But uh, the, the initial critical response to that first movie was kind of mixed, but it was a huge box office success. And Adam's Family Values is kind of the flip of that. It was a huge critical success, but it actually really underwhelmed at the box office to the point where they kind of decided to discontinue the series. I mean, that and, of course, the unfortunate uh, passing of Raul Julia uh, with, I think, eight months after this movie finished uh, shooting. So a huge loss for sure like i would have loved seeing him play gomez forever um but unfortunately that did not happen yeah but i think this one made uh 46 million at the box office where uh, the first nope. one made 190 uh, or something they like made that. uh 111 million. that's oh yeah that's internationally yeah yeah it, it did better overseas than it did here um but yeah for some reason this only came out two years later and i feel like this is a really good example of what a big screen sequel should do like this is a really good way of taking the things that you liked about the first movie trimming away the fat and then just kind of amplifying everything in a way that i feel like they really found their comedic voice here um and sonnenfeld is much more confident behind the camera like this is just a wildly fun movie and i think it kind of distills the best of the series end of podcast you looked at me and I was like, oh, well, I have to say words. I just think it's so interesting when you get a dogmatic, like you're like, this movie was excellent. No more, need, no discussion needed. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I'm saying it. I don't I'm saying know, it. I, I found myself, so this one was my favorite as a child. Uh-huh. But coming back and rewatching it, I kind of really liked the first one. Mm. I loved the, I don't know, there are things to really love about the second one. And I think Joan Cusack is like a breakout superstar yes. in it. And she's just so uh, malevolent yes. in the best possible way. And um, Fester, like, I, it was interesting. I feel like they, um, like, the thing that I didn't like is I think Fester was, like, down a couple notches on his intellect. Cause, mm. Like, then the first movie, because, like, he's just so stupid. But then he's stupid because he's horny. So, you know, it's, it's fair. It's fair. Yeah. Um, Been there. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people have at some point. Yeah, I mean, I I used to I used to be the same way. I think I used to a lot prefer the first one, and it's definitely the one I've seen more. It was the VHS we had in the house when I was a kid. But I think every time I watch this movie, I get a little bit more out of it, and I just like I, I have more to admire about it every time. And I think yeah, central among it is Joan Cusack giving what I consider one of my very favorite comedic performances in a film ever. Period. I mean, she's unbelievably funny in this movie. Fester's immortal, right? They're all they're all kind of right. They're all like, kind that's, of immortal. They because insinuation. Yeah, they there was there was a few jokes that I caught that I was like, oh, that's clever. And one of them was, uh, what what's Joan Cusack's? What's her character's name again? Uh, Debbie. Debbie. Debbie Jelinski. Uh, Debbie mm. Jelinski. She uh, she she calls. Oh my God! What was? Uh, what was the dad's name? Gomez. 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 Yes. Jesus. 
my brain all right now all, that that filled in the blanks of all the other characters in my head so okay I'm, good. I'm good i'm good i remember where everyone else fits in the puzzle um <laughs> she she calls gomez a lady killer and he goes acquitted yes and i'm like sir <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, I, I, I love it when they drop little bombs like that. And the first one was so good about that, too. Just, like, really dark little jokes underneath just to highlight that, like, yes, this is a happy, loving family, but they are also deeply evil and corrupt. Also, to uh, Tayato's point uh, uh, previously, when they're trying to find... When Fester's confessing to Gomez that he's looking for love, he's like, I want a thing. And then Gomez is like... Well, you have hand. Oh, oh or you, you have thing. And yeah. he goes, I want more than that. I want somebody with legs and stuff. And I'm like, the cutaway. Hello. The cutaway to thing like trembling. He's, he's just in like, the corner, oh. like, oh, God. Oh, the poor, poor thing. Literally poor thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I just gay think canon. Gay canon. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. I'm trying to think like what makes this a good sequel and. Honestly, I think it's just a good movie. Like, yeah. I think the first movie, uh, you know, it's flawed. It was good. Um, but it was the Adams family. And it was the further into the movie we get, the more we, like, learn and the Adams family grows. And it's the essentially the, them taking up space that, you know, has them winning. Like, they win <laughs> over Fester. They uh, not win over, but they defeat their financial problems. Yeah. Um, and in this one, it's more like, the Adams Family versus America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it does that so incredibly that it really feels like uh, the points that they're making, like, I mean, they're at a summer camp doing a Thanksgiving pageant. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The, the, the satire, Can we get into this? The satire, <laughs> I think, in this movie is is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, they... Uh, a significant portion of the movie is spent following Wednesday and Pugsley at a uh, summer camp for privileged youth. Like, literally, it's called that. And it's just all these rich, waspy, like, blondes, like, surrounding them everywhere. And then it's just these weird sore thumbs that, like, stand out. And they're, like, bucking the system at every trend. Or they're, they're bucking the system at every moment. And I love every moment of this summer camp subplot. So some of the stuff that I love about the Adams family themselves, like they get these really funny lines like, oh, you know, she's Wednesday's at that age, you know, where she has only one thing on her mind. Boys. (laughs) Yeah, these are very funny jokes. But then there's like really subtle ways that we see what the Adams family is. And something that I noticed on this watch was every scene at summer camp. Pugsley and Wednesday are just hanging out. Like, yeah. in one of the first scenes, he's just sitting on her bed, like, you know, doing some, it's not a Rubik's Cube, but, like, something with his hands, and she's there, you know, essentially getting a little bit bullied and then bullying them back. And it really honestly thinks, like, what movie have you seen in American Family where the kids are at summer camp and they're not fighting? Yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, this is understood. This is this family. They are, uh, it's something I'm going to talk about in a minute. They have a bond with each other that's not based on loyalty. It's based on love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when they do things for each other, it's the right thing to do. And it separates It's very. Uh, it separates itself from a lot of these other things we see in this movie where it's uh, not you know, patriotism as nationalism. Like the last image we see of Joan Cusack is in front of a American flag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, a Thanksgiving pageant uh, that's trying to erase history and like literally uh, the minor- minorities are casted to the side. Yeah. Like it's, I'm like, oh, okay, so like I love that they made such a specific point of like what uh, nationalism becomes and like what the Adams family isn't. Yeah. <laughs> there was also an interesting thing with that same stuff of, 
the up until they get sent away to camp, the younger children are basically the the children are just trying to kill the baby. Yeah. Um. But then, like right before that, there's a moment where Wednesday comes in and kind of catches uh, Debbie being a dick to yeah. the baby, and she she calls her a gross or a brat or something. And Wednesday immediately goes like, "No, she's not," or "No, he's not." Like, no, no, yeah. I'm going, like, look, this is my fucking family here. Like, don't you even start. Yeah, I think we can accept that. And this is, you know, me kind of picking and choosing what to, to accept as, like, real and it's just right. flavorful. But, like, I think them, you know, literally trying to kill each other is this silly thing. Because we do see one moment where the guillotine does fall and the baby's able to, like, stop it. Mm -hmm. So in this way, we can, I guess, we can kind of guess that they're all just, like, playing like this. Even their attempts to harm each other were never going to a harm or a violence and even yeah. even in the first movie they were doing it to each other mm -hmm. oh mostly wednesday starting yeah. it but uh, yeah they established that it's like a sibling rivalry <laughs> thing that they they're always trying to kill each other yeah it's a regular occurrence and in fact at some point they even try to shoot the baby and it doesn't work yeah mm -hmm. uh however you don't see it it happens in the background and you just hear it but it's like it, again, it's like, all right, what what kind of immortality bullshit do they have going for them at this point? <laughs> I mean, it's just cartoon logic, I think. I feel like the 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 Adams family are cartoons living in a real world. I don't know. I Wait like to a think minute. That they all have their own Dorian Gray picture somewhere. <laughs> totally. Or like, there's definitely like a satanic pact, like yeah. somewhere in their family history. Or are you something telling like me that. that this is some way indirectly related to Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I, a direct parallel. Direct. Oh parallel. my god. <laughs> I mean, I tunes like living amongst people, unthinkable. <laughs> Wait, is Christopher Lloyd in both? Yeah, he is. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, who did he play in? He was Judge Doom. Yeah, Judge Doom. Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. <laughs> yeah, and now he transforms we, so much in this movie. He plays Fester in this. Yes. And now I we start that. part two that. of the Roger Rabbit podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, just back up. Uh, now with you. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I, yeah, this, this, uh, I think this balances out the use of the family really well. I think everybody kind of gets their yeah. stuff. Gomez and Morticia are almost like sidelined a little bit. And a lot of that is because of Raul Julia's illness. Mm -hmm. He had, uh, he had yeah. pretty severe stomach cancer around this time and, uh, he was, he was struggling with that. Um, but yeah, which so I also I, learned he didn't tell anyone. He he wasn't telling people about it. Yeah. But, uh, Angelica Houston recalls like noticing that he was like. Yeah. Just really struggling on set and like wasn't eating and yeah, losing weight, you know, so that's that's a really sad thing. Um, but yeah, so they get sidelined a little bit, but we have like the Fester storyline with him uh, uh, being with this Black Widow murderer played by Joan Cusack. And then we have the kids off at summer camp dealing with their own challenges and uh, they're ducking in and out of each other's lives uh, in these really fun ways. And then, of course, the thing that they were sort of selling the movie on is the birth of a new Adams family member. You know, the canonically they are adding a character to this family. And I have to say I am really glad that this the baby is not an overwhelming part of this movie. Like yeah. I feel like that would just get kind of cloying and kind of weird. I think they use the baby just enough. I yeah. don't like the baby. I feel like mm. the baby is the biggest weakness to this movie. I feel like if they had made this movie without the baby, it would be infinitely better. Um I will say while we're talking about cast members, uh Carol Kane coming in as new grandma. Uh, yes. A swift transition between the two movies. And I want to say, like, this is her first movie where she's playing an old granny. But I this is also, like... No, uh, Princess Bride's first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. like, it's not 
She was in a, a horror movie called, uh, I think, When a Stranger Calls. Yes. Where she's a yeah. babysitter. And, like, it's not long enough ago where, like, <laughs> between, like, babysitter to, like, yeah, she, crone. She, she'd she's, be in her early 40s. Here. She was 11 months older than Angelica Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Mama. And you think Hollywood could just hire an older woman. No, no, no. Um, But yeah, Carol Kane has such a distinctive voice and kind of a distinctive acting style that like, and that's really served her well because now she's like in her 60s or 70s. She looks fantastic and everybody like Like doesn't really know her age anymore. Sassy broad on Star Trek. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, she's on the new Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, she's great. Um, yeah, I, the the baby. Uh, there, this was kind of a unfortunate epidemic of early '90s movies where they had to have a baby, and it tended to steal focus, or or it would be talking baby movies, or uh, uh, did anybody see Baby's Day Out? Like really terrible, like slapstick comedy about a like a baby like crawling around the city, and these three criminals are trying to stop it. It's just the most cloying, oh obnoxious bullshit. And uh, I get really creeped out by uh, babies in movies, so I'm glad they did. They don't go too hard on this one. They did select a very cute baby. They uh, did. But so, what specifically did you not like about like the baby scenes? I th- the 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 family was complete. The family didn't need an addition. The addition didn't bring anything substantive to the family. Uh, like I'd rather just Wednesday and Pugsley get up to shenanigans. Uh, like the baby saves them. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like it should be better to have Wednesday save them or Pugsley save them coming back from the, like, I just like the baby is such a, I don't know. I've always thought <clears throat> babies ruin movies. Mm-hmm. Like they yeah. really do in my personal opinion. And I just feel like. And lives. Yeah. And lives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> universal no, that's universally though. true like yeah. it's such a dumb cop-out to be like and then the baby saves everyone and it's like oh, okay Linkley. like and it was a very you know uh i think they played an adams family style like rube goldberg machine yeah. of how the baby gets there um, yeah no i mean they they i i don't know i i appreciate how they use it and i like the whole subplot of uh when the baby gets sick it gets these bouncy blonde curls and the whole room turns white and looks like a very classic nursery like that's their idea of the worst thing that could happen to their baby so i love this part um as we as i've mentioned a few times uh we start seeing the blondness and identity of debbie Mm -hmm. uh spread across several uh young campers and they are all essentially Debbie Juniors mm. doing a Thanksgiving pageant. Yeah. And we see that this is a line of, uh, you know, it's almost like a Karen pipeline. We can put it in simple terms. But it's yeah. this, it's a like, it's this very privileged, this, you know, uh, monstrous thing. Um, and when we see baby pubert going blonde, yeah, it's essentially Gomez recognizing like, like, how cool is it to see a trope of a father being like, not my child when it's not about like the child is gay or like a daughter you know going to school for art and he's like oh why don't you do a real job it's a child that he sees going in the direction of what will turn into nationalism like it's (laughs) noticing like oh my kid is getting into fox news and he's like upset about it and it's like this is such a cool message to see like this is a father who loves his child and doesn't like the the world that he's going into and it's for the child's sake not for mm-hmm. like fit into my world stay in adams it's uh, uh the pipeline you're going down is is what scares gomez i'm like damn i absolutely love the comparison of karen's to nationalism because i was like that's ridiculous and then i thought like one more second i was like 
that yeah, tracks. that's that that's kind of yeah. it. Yeah. You only have to have like one or two of them follow you in a store before you're like, oh, okay, yeah. I know what's going on. I yeah. think th- that's a really good point. That I've never made that connection with this, that like Debbie is kind of like the twisted end product of all these little girls in the summer camp. She slowly like, yeah. infects everything in the movie. Yeah, she's just really entitled and spoiled and sociopathic and just like wants more and feels she deserves more. Uh, she is this kind of like perverted version of the American dream and and, yeah. uh, and and also like celebrity and all of this stuff. And Joan Cusack never really gets to play parts like this. Like she's always like the wacky best friend or or just like the, the, the quirky girl next door. She gets to do stuff like that. She doesn't get to be sexy and she doesn't get to be a villain very often. And I think she's really great because... She wanders into this movie just so unfazed by anything. I think the only time you ever see her kind of like start is when she meets cousin It for the first time. Mm. And even then she recovers. Like I, I mean, for God's sake, she a separate like hand a half, calls on to her. She takes hand. like a half second with Thing. Yeah, I guess she a d- tiny she stares moment. at him and I think it was No, awkward. she sucked like him off. Yeah, okay. she, she <laughs> That's put, true. She stared at him for a second like, it wasn't and a then was like, I got hand. this. Yeah. She's like, I'm very good with my hands. Like that's an Elvira moment right there. She, <laughs> she went for it. Yeah, yeah. She's ruthless. <laughs> um, no, just I uh, I really like what you were saying about um her being like this this twisted American dream. Because yeah. I think that's what this movie ultimately does. It's the Adams family as the uh, family with American values, which is different from the American family because the American family is nuclear. And yeah. we see here grandma, we see Lurch, we see uh, it. No, we see Thing. And it's not just they happen to live in the house. It's that it kind of sets up this, uh, I want to say, like momentum of like anyone's welcome in the house. We mm-hmm. often yeah. see gatherings in the Adams family's house and there's never a bit of drama. No. Flora and, and Fauna will date the same person. And, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll like invite people they inv- yeah they're like yeah hey our lawyer fucking come on over bud hang yeah. out with us and they're just like what are we doing here this yeah. is such a weird place but nobody is saying anything no one's talking shit to us like that's the thing they don't really have an axe to grind with the outside world like right. they are so happy and so like content doing their own weird thing that they're just not gonna like they're not bothered by other people but they're also not gonna change themselves for uh, their comfort and <laughs> Like when he went to the police station. Yeah. And it's like... <laughs> Showing that the cops are useless. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It was Fil- like... Film debut of Nathan oh Lane boy. right there. Was that yeah. the f- debut? That was his first... I mean, wow. he, was a, he was a big deal on Broadway. He played a hard... He played into his own character hard. Oh, speaking yeah. of uh, uh, cameos, uh, Cynthia Nixon at the yes. top as a babysitter. Yes, that's Tony right. Shalhoub as a sailor for uh, some reason. For very briefly. Like, he would have been on Wings already at this point, I think. Like, he was already kind of a name. He looked... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you have a couple of things. And then uh, very young David Crumholtz as the uh, kind of nerdy yes. kid that they were partnered oh. up with at the summer camp. I think he's great in this. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. It's just weird to see him in this, and now it's like, oh, shit, that's the guy from Oppenheimer. Like, yeah, he's he's really uh, good. Um, yeah. Is it Tony Shalhoub? Tony Shalhoub. Shalhoub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, a also, was a sailor. Right, yeah. And um, <laughs> he's so charming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene is burned into my mind, and I don't think you have to ask why Tony Shalhoub singing YMCA is <laughs> something I think about very often. Yeah, um, again, like you said, gay canon. Like, this movie has a, has a singing, Just like, a bunch of sailors uh, in Hawaii, and, and it's like, eh, yeah. Oh my and I mean, and when Debbie oh. gets the money, like, she basically just becomes, like, a psychotic, like, Beverly Hills 90210, like, slash Joan Collins kind of thing. Like, real tacky, like, real expensive, oh, everything. And too. then, and then she blows it all up. 
after putting so much effort and being such a jerk to everyone, like moving things into the house, she just <laughs> fucking blows the whole thing up. I think up. it's a real like a reflection of like she could have joined the Adams family. Yeah. yeah. But she creates this own like parody of what the Adams family have, only this beige BMW, not BMW, um, Buick yeah. uh, version of it. And it's just like, it's sort of, it's lame. And like Morticia Adams, she I could forgive you everything, but not pastels, Debbie. <laughs> um, and it was just like, and it's, it's really is mockery of um, what the Adams family values. Yes. Uh, hey. Uh, hey. Say the title, win the movie. Say the title, win the movie. Yeah. Uh, but um, Debbie, like, and I love Debbie's uh, tirade about the fact that she wanted a ballerina Barbie yeah. and not a Malibu Barbie, and that was enough to get her to kill her parents. When um, well, she didn't specify she killed her parents. She just specified she burnt everything down. I mean, uh, she I, I think them. it was implied yeah. that she killed her parents. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can read between the lines on that. Well, it was so funny because like Morticia is like was like having like these like moving tears at the end when when debbie was doing her like her villain monologue again that's and it's like i love when you can point to a villain monologue and be like yeah that's a villain monologue and they are so on board with everything like they are in her corner like they they complete like she's got them like strapped to electric chairs about to kill them and they're so unbothered by it that they're actually empathizing with her as if she actually has something to empathize with like uh, I, I, well, lo- I think they do empathize with her because they yeah. like it's the darkness of Debbie's soul that would uh, like a cure like allure her them to the family yeah uh, as opposed to it's her wanting to keep up appearances that makes her incompatible with the family right I mean yeah trying to kill each other is kind of how they show affection you yeah. know like yeah so they're they're not going to begrudge her that at <laughs> and all. that's why Fester never got the point so yeah like, I like you know what you're saying Jayvon at every moment uh, that there's a confrontation with Debbie they never talk mean to her yeah. like no, when no. they go to the house it's you know you've put him under some weird sexual spell I can respect that mm-hmm. but can we please see him like they just want to hang out with their with their fester yeah um and the same like I think uh uh was it towards the very end oh, fuck I wish I could remember the the specific mm. parts but yeah we see um they all lend their sympathies to her at every point like they they accept her I think with with Debbie versus the Adams family we see the American dream versus the family with American values and it's the American dream of greed and capitalism like the only trait of Debbie's that's actually bad in this movie is how ruthless she is yeah that she will hurt people to help herself everything else the actual hurting isn't the problem it's yeah. like it is it's like this specific ruthlessness and you know if you look at it now like what's the most ruthless thing in America it's corporations like, yeah businesses yep. aren't apologetic Amazon is not you know, it's especially ruthless to their employees. Like, yeah. So it's like very, very cool to see this, you know, breakdown of the the uh, American family being torn apart and literally, not American, yeah, the family being torn apart, uh, nearly killed by the greed. Um, and then, you know, while the, the baby saving everyone is kind of a cop out, it is notable that the baby has gone back from blonde to dark hair and yeah. he's gone back to being an Adams. Yeah, yeah, and that's that. I, I, there must be some kind of mythology there of it's, like that's why he's they're invulnerable is because they're atoms. But I do really love the title of this movie because the title of this is a jab at uh, Vice President Dan Quayle. Yes, 
he made a speech a couple years before this. I think it was in response to like the Rodney King riots or something like that, where he was blaming all the violence on a breakdown in American family values. And so this, and it became known as like the family values. You've activated my trap card, Steve. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) So fun fact. Okay. Uh, I told you I was going to bring this back at some point. Oh my God. The words limp or biscuit come out of your mouth. I will jump (laughs) on this table. So in 1999, the new metal band Korn took the same uh, parodying of that speech and started a tour called the Family Values Tour, yes. which is how Limp Bizkit got famous. Okay. There okay. you go. All right. All right. All right. I'll spare that one. I have so one. much of this stupid trivia in my brain. Please get it out. I don't want it. Oh, my God. It's just there. Just start the Limp Biz cast already, and then you can, you can take all the time you want on that. Uh, oh, more queer thoughts on Adam's family. Please. Um, is it a boy? Is it a girl? It's an Adam's non-binary. Wow. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Like, love that. It's, it's a funny joke, but it's literally a father whose immediate question, whose immediate answer to like, is it a boy, is to be like, it's my child. Yeah. What are you asking me that for? Like, it's like, yeah, wait. And he's ecstatic about this, too. This, immediately why accepting. Why can't this be the normal? Yeah. 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 No, I love that. And I mean the the reveal of the name of the baby is really yeah. funny like where they're 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 playing it up. It's like we wanted something dignified. Pubert. Um, and was, so there is a Pubert Adams now. The last bit of uh trivia from my research. Uh mm. I was looking up some videos of Joan Cusack. Really weird interview with her. Uh-huh. Uh, the interviewer was weird, but mm. uh there was some interesting um you know discussion about it cuz like you said this is a new role for Joan Cusack and the lady was like you were just very like you know not sexy, but like you were very like exposed. Yeah, yeah provocative. Yeah, and I was yeah. just like, this lady needs to mind her own business. How <laughs> did you feel about that? Was that was that the most revealing thing you've ever worn on film or in your personal life? Outside of your boudoir, of course. I'm like, Jesus. Wow. All right. <laughs> Calm down. It was. Yeah. Anyways, the cool thing. Ma'am, how that, do you think I shower? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you asking me? I wear a cardigan do in there. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, and what time do you get dressed? No, so I think what uh, what window? What I like from that, this interview though, uh, Joan Cusack like looked at him and was like, at first, you know, she asked herself like, is this a little bit misogynistic? Mm-hmm. Um, but she ends up being like, no, like she's capable, she's confident, she's f- sophisticated, and that's how the actress sees the character, and that yeah. is absolutely how uh, Debbie exists in this world. Like she's at her core, you know, pretty rotten and, and selfish and ruthless, but she can navigate the wrong the world very well in being asked all these questions about the way she dressed and like were you okay being dressed that provocative she's just like no there's nothing wrong with sexuality and I'm just like, yeah. yeah okay and, so like she <laughs> and i think to a degree it's also such a weird thing too because it's not like her character was doing it like she was doing it for a purpose yeah she had a very specific purpose of the black widow i'm going to get this rich guy to marry me um, this isn't like she just goes out every night dressed provocatively. Yeah, yes, she does. Yes, she, like that's, she, that's the whole point of her going to the sailors. It's I like, guess this so. Is her, this is what she wants. She wants the money so she can live however fuck she wants. Yeah. She's living. She she wants the freedom to be uh, who she is. And who she is is a terrible person. And hey. it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, she embraces it completely. Like she is not conflicted about who she is in any way. Like she does not feel like. She- a car that says Debbie too. Like that's <laughs> no, I want a car with license she, plate Debbie. Too. She has two cars. One of them is Debbie one, yeah. and the other one is Debbie two. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that's how you get to that's Debbie another two. level. Yeah, I guess so. Well, and it's just like, and it's so interesting because it's like, like her greed isn't enough because she's like she 
she's on her third husband and so she's just like she's caught up into this like consumerism but again like you said she explodes it she just like sets fire to these things because <laughs> yeah. uh, she doesn't care about them in the beginning with she loves the hunt yeah she loves the hunt uh, and the so kill this is what i love about the nuance in this movie because she's a greedy villain that is dressed as a 90s business lady and yeah. it's so easy to vilify like women who don't take care of the home like women who choose their personal ambitions over caring for family and it looked like this movie could have easily fallen into the trap and it never does like we see the family accept debbie we see them offer her sympathy like every time they can like they don't dislike this person this person is not wrong it's like just she's just a little too aggressive about the things she wants but like, yeah. also they're so wholesome i thought it was interesting that debbie one was a buick and debbie two is a mercedes <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's just I like she that. upgraded that's cars car, over time. That's our uh, car corner with Justin. <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's revealed like, the three. It's out of the again, four it's one of those things of like. Uh, oh no, I'm turning straight. <laughs> oh no. She she <gasps> she bought a fancier car, and then just doesn't care about the first one when it gets wrecked. She's just like, fuck it. I'll take Debbie 2 out now. Yeah. I've been hiding Debbie 2 for some reason. And it, it is a funny subversion of this trope that like, you know, she she does everything right. She, her scheme pulls off, but the one thing she didn't count on is that, oh, uh, my husband uh, can't be killed because mm -hmm. he's a cartoon character. You know, And like, he has a friend that is literally just a floating hand that can somehow drive a fucking car. She, yeah. She didn't count on a family that loved each other unconditionally. Yeah. Exactly. That's a big one. I mean, you know, I want to uh, circle back to the summer camp for a minute just because... <sighs> I love this love summer this. camp I, so much. So, Are you not a fan of this? Oh, no. Oh, I okay. loved it. So oh, this, good. I, I feel like the summer camp lived in my head rent-free mm -hmm. for years. I loved it because I hated it. Yes. <laughs> They're all so contemptible. Uh, the main girl that they bring, it, that's Mercedes McNabb, once again, from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She has a cameo as a Girl Scout in the first movie, and then she becomes like uh, the main antagonist girl at this camp. But the counselors are Christine Baranski and Peter McNichol, who are both unbelievably funny in this. They are, they are insane and evil in a way that the Adams can't even uh, hope to approach. Like, Peter McNichol in particular is so good at playing... <laughs> like wild-eyed uh uh like kind of weenies you know like he, he's wild-eyed wild weenie. weenie there's Do an you, improv you know when he played that, that role in ghostbusters 2 in ghostbusters 2 are we perfectly. ever gonna get to ghostbusters we 2? are okay. yeah absolutely we are yeah he's so good in that i mean he's he he's the one funny part of the mel brooks movie dracula dead and loving it he's renfield in that which is an unbelievably perfect casting and he's so funny uh but yeah i mean the they wisely singled out Christina Ricci as kind of a standout from the first movie. And so they gave her a much bigger role this time around. And uh, she really kind of runs with it. Pugsley is always just kind of like there. No disrespect to Pugsley, but yeah. his whole his personality is that he doesn't have a personality. You know, she gets this little uh, romantic subplot with little David Krumholtz, who is like shunned from the camp because a he's jewish and b he's very neurotic they make a point the funniest part of the whole this whole scene and the part that makes me like want to rip my hair out at the same time is when they're announcing the casting for their play and they cast all of the beautiful white children as the pilgrims and all of the indians are being played by uh like the black kid or like the heavyset girl or the boy in the wheelchair or the goth nerds you know and just all the outcasts and then 
when you see the play itself and the way that they talk about the people and it, it's it's so savage and so brutal and that you you absolutely feel vindicated when they <laughs> literally burn the place to the ground when they hijack it and then pillage it like and again that this this is where we get into the weird logical things where like they seem to burn the main girl at the stake yeah uh, but we do <laughs> see her on the plane they definitely the killed movie. david crumholtz's parents too. <laughs> yes yeah. absolutely yeah but i mean yeah. they're all alive at the end so like whatever they they can control life or death but no every beat of this sub summer camp subplot like is fantastic i think it's so interesting when they have um wednesday adams after being in the uh the hut all day uh and she's playing along and she gives a smile and I'm just like I don't know there's just something so that I love about Wednesday because you're always as a woman you're told to fucking smile all fucking time and so like Wednesday just in like she smiles when she's about to kill someone and <laughs> like you know when she's about to do the guillotine she's about um, to end your career yeah. but it's just like to to have wednesday do this fake smile like broke my heart a little bit and it was just like no wednesday i know you're just fucking with them but ah no you shouldn't have to but she plays it so perfectly like it, you really believe it is painful for her to be making that face like it is she's exercising muscles that have not been used in years now if i'm not mistaken Mistaken. That camp was owned by the counselors. They do say that at some point, I right? I think so, yeah. Um, so their livelihood is probably not in good shape after oh, this. Yeah. Well, they were roasted on It's really interesting because the Chippewa people don't live anywhere near that area or no. anywhere near um, the <laughs> Also, it's, are you it's worried about appropriation. the camp counselors after we saw the No, no. I'm not worried about them. I'm just making a point. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they... they they fucked they around. They found out. Each child was paying twenty thousand dollars per child yeah. for the summer camp. Yeah. Hopefully, they caused at least that much in damages. I mean, I think the one sort of logical inconsistency in this whole movie, at least in terms of its own logic, is that they they do kind of take a shortcut of getting the kids to the camp. Like, Gomez and Morticia don't really interrogate it as much as they should, Mm -hmm. and they're also more upset about them trying to kill that baby than I think they reasonably would be. Well, I think they should. So they don't mention it, but in the first one, uh, Gomez and... Fester. Fester did go to summer camp. That's right. Yeah, they did. They, they for, have pictures of them at yeah. summer camp. For preteen so, offenders. Like, I feel like they should have, like, yeah, it was summer camp for, for preteen, preteen offenders. offenders. This is yeah. part where Debbie was saying, like, this is a specific one they wanted to go to. They promised me not to tell you, but yeah. I think yeah. it's what they need. So, like, I, this is one that, you know, Debbie picked out. Yeah. I do appreciate, yeah, the parents' like willingness to be like, you know, I, I wish they were comfortable enough to tell us these things, but if this is what they want, and it's yeah. like, damn, what what cool ass parents? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I just went with it. I, wanna, like, I would have thought that there would have been more of a conversation, but yeah. Well, I think that's the part of Debbie being like, yeah, don't. Yeah. The kids promised me not to like, because, and also, there's another thing is that for a while I used to think that uh, Debbie was there because Morticia and Gomez were, you know, worried about the livelihood of their baby, and it's like, no, this is how they all play. Yeah. They're just tired because they have three kids. <laughs> right. Like, oh, that's totally reasonable. It doesn't have to be because the one's gonna ki- like kill the other one. It's literally just like three kids are a lot, and there's just like maybe one a nanny. And the children are cock blocking Gomez and Morticia. Oh, <laughs> biggest crime. No, let me just throw out here, right? We never see them go to work. 
No, they're no, they're they're independent. They're, they're stay-at-home rich parents. Yeah, yeah. they're old, and they still hired a nanny. Yeah, of course. Who wouldn't hire a nanny? Nanny should be provided for every human being who has a child. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, you can't trust it with like Lurch. You know, like he's he's too. Why not? The hand, the hand is just one hand, and the grandma's gonna keep trying to cook him. Lurch, <laughs> Lurch has things to do. He Lurch, Lurch is working. running that household. <laughs> I imagine he's like hanging cobwebs, you know? Like he's doing the opposite of what uh, he's basically doing does. what everyone else does that at the beginning of October. That has a garden, a mm-hmm. greenhouse. You saw how big that garden was. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a we graveyard. Did. Like that uh, an entire house that like is like they have moats, they have dungeon. Who's cleaning Morticia also, and Gomez's oh, sex the slides dungeon? From that first <laughs> movie with a bank underneath? Yeah. yeah. Did yeah. they did they report Debbie's death? Oh, I don't imagine a, they, they did. She was ashes. They they buried her. They yeah. buried her. But Except does anyone for her gold know? cards? Ding ding. <laughs> yes. I loved it. Also, again, like uh, this movie is so good. What a beautiful picture of the the roasting of capitalism with patent leather shoes, a pile of ashes, and a few gold credit cards. Yeah, I like, love yeah, it. Yeah, that's what she was. Um, Absolutely. I, I do want to shout out like some amazing lines from Wednesday Adams that me and my friends definitely like co-opted as much as we could into our personality of uh, being like, oh, I'll play the victim your whole life. Yes. <laughs> oh, so good. Or like, is that your bathing suit? Is that your overbite? Oh. <laughs> Her horror story about all their old noses growing back was so good. Yeah. Oh. Like just, uh, you know, all these little digs and uh, yeah. I guess like there are, there are just cool moments where it's just like, and even that specifically, it's, not that she doesn't like them because they're weird or different. It's that, like, she gets what they're about. Yeah. It's just not for her. Yeah, it's yeah. It's like, this offers me nothing. So I think it's interesting. Like, uh, so I, I I, both have a, I have a weird relationship with, like, the the kid uh, that they sort of, like, she has, like, this romantic subplot with. Uh, because I, th- I really like the fact that she can make friends outside of her family. Yes. Uh, and that they, like, they, I like the scene where they're, like, exchanging murder cards. Because heaven knows, oh. I've bonded with friends over talking about serial killers. <laughs> uh, it's something that... God. They really, like, called out what was going to happen 30 years later. I'm like, oh, <laughs> 20 years from now, one, it'll be super cool to hate Thanksgiving. Yeah. And everyone's going to love true crime murder. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really like how they handled it in the end and be like, oh, no, like, I'm still Wednesday. I'm not quite into... Um, uh, into being my parents quite yet, yeah. um, but also, that's but that does help to make her a little more likable and make the characters more likable because they have an affinity for outsiders. Yeah. It doesn't matter that he's like a scrawny yeah. nerd or whatever, and that he's not really like on their same vibe. He is an outsider. He doesn't want to be here, and they can bond over that. Yeah, I like uh, that. She also is like, I I'd, I'd pity you if you worshipped me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. fuck off, buddy. Yeah. Like, come on. That was um, good. Fun fact about David Krumholtz seeing the Michael Jackson poster and screaming. Oh, yes. yes. So, Michael Jackson was actually supposed to yeah. make the original song for Adam's Family. He sure was. was. on the last podcast? What's that? No. Was it on? Oh, okay. oh no, yeah. no, we didn't mention that. Yeah, no, he, he wanted to do the theme music for this. Yeah. And I think... His three or four months before this movie came out, mm. uh, the the first allegations came out against yeah. Michael Jackson, and so a lot of people were distancing themselves. So that's this movie and Sonic the Hedgehog three, so which he was supposed to do the music for, f- and actually, allegedly, the music that he wrote is in that game, but that oh. he's not credited. Officially, uh, apparently, it was like Michael Jackson's lawyers that were like, "You're not going to be able to do that." Like, is what they say. I wonder if it's true. If it is, because it, it made it sound like it. 
it was already decided Michael Jackson couldn't do it yeah. before his thing came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I it, wonder. That, that could be. I mean, maybe they're getting out yeah. ahead of the story or something. Yeah. But the thing that they replace it with is something I want to talk about here. Yeah. Uh, it's a song by the early 90s hip-hop group Tag Team. You might know them for their jock jam, Whoop There It Is. <laughs> and so they wrote a song for this movie called Whoop There It Is, parentheses, Adam's The Adams Family. family. <laughs> and it's literally just the same song again that they put the Adams family lyrics into and it's one of the laziest and most hilariously bad movie songs ever it actually won a Razzie award for worst song in a film uh, and I watched the music video like four or five times uh, it's amazing it's unbelievable it's so lazy I mean I just I just imagine like if you're a hit pop star you have a one song and then every song that you do after that is just a variation on that same song with the same title Ooh. There it is, Scooby-Doo Gang. <laughs> God, there it is, Jurassic Park 2. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, it, it works for so many things. We figured it out. Wow. Every song, every movie theme. The Godfather Part 3. Huh? Yes. I guess it is you interesting to think, like, you know, in, 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 in a post-Barbie world of what this... Uh, a, a movie that will essentially try to like market tie in stuff like in a popular song and you know when the more recent animated Adams Family movie came out there was all the like Happy Meals and all these things sure. but we see a movie here that's very clearly like so anti-capitalism anti-greed anti like this image of what we need and oh something I was going to say about Debbie being the um, you know the, this force of greed it it's very interesting that, to see that she enters the family through like the the weakness of the family was fester coveting his brother mm -hmm. yeah and like that was the opening that that let this uh, uh that the crack that let you know debbie in um yeah yeah i mean and i think speaking of an anti-capitalist message uh obviously this game has to have this movie has to have a video game <laughs> because that keeps happening with the movies like like uh, toys that have really strong anti-capitalist messages we of course need to put a video game like, in there don't let it be successful Absolutely not. Let's the marketing for this movie was not a good one, apparently. Which no. Which why the movie didn't do well, yeah. Yeah, I think they were just kind of uh, coasting on the momentum and the goodwill of the first movie, but people didn't uh, turn out. They didn't know about it. But Somebody definitely sat in a room when they were about, like coming up with like brainstorming and stuff, and they're like, well... Look, because the other movie came out two years ago, we don't have to do as much marketing. We don't have to put as much effort into this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think that was definitely a factor. Are we ready to transition over to the game a little bit? I think and I was born yeah. ready. All right. I believe Hayato had some of the villain monologue to say. Oh, my what? God. Oh, wow. oh, oh. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't enjoy hurting anybody. I don't like guns or bombs or electric chairs, but sometimes people just won't listen. And so I have to use persuasion and slides. <laughs> you took me in, you accepted me, but did any of you love me? I mean, really love me. So I killed, so I maimed, so I destroyed one innocent life after another. Aren't I a human being? Don't I yearn and ache and shop? Don't I deserve love and jewelry? That is amazing. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Beautifully done. It's just like we. It's a good one. We see wh who she is stripped down. She is 
a person that wants. Yes. And it's not so bad that she wants, but she's willing to hurt other people for and the things she wants. Legitimately, so much of that speech could have been things that the Adams family have done. Sure. <laughs> they, they bombs. Have. Yeah, None they, of those like, things are the problem with her. <laughs> they kill people all the time. Yeah. 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 They really don't have the a only thing with she it. like uh, she needed more love. She didn't have the love that the Adams family have. I, look, they always only pitied her. None of the murders can be proven. The love of things versus the love of people. Because yeah. the Adams family have all this money and they have some pretty cool stuff, uh, but they're not um, constantly collecting new things. No. For example, in the first movie, they were selling their uh, finger <laughs> trap and then they bought back their finger trap yeah. um, in an erotic um, auction. Some um, fin dom going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but in. And I think that's something that, like, they just, they have what they need, um, and they appreciate it. Um, and Debbie never, like, it's never enough. Like, uh, and, like, there's something, I don't know, there's something edgy about something never be, never being enough, but there's also something sad about it. Yeah. And I think the interesting part about that is that she says, like, did you ever love me? I deserve love. But, like, at no point did she try no, I mean she's a sociopath who is right, just kind of yeah. using uh, the these material goods as it's, kind of a means to continue killing people. <laughs> so there's a thing that's been happening lately, and uh, it's been like in Marvel movies and stuff where it's like they have to make the bad guy seem complicated. Mm. So they have this speech that makes them seem like they're doing bad things for good reasons, and then there's always that very easy plot hole of like, bro, why? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like yeah. you didn't have to do all of this. Yeah. Like you could have just rocked up and been a kick-ass nanny, and you'd probably be fine. Probably. Yeah. Um, like I'm not saying you have to love Fester and do all that stuff, but like they were, it was all fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of Fester, the <laughs> the, the the protagonist of our game this time around. Um, now, we, we we talked about the video game last week. That it was just kind of a, a really fun, colorful, side-scrolling platformer that J-Ban in particular really I connected with. I loved it so much. Yes, and it's like, it, it was really charming. And I was fully expecting this game to just kind of follow that same template and go the same route. Like, I don't know if that first game was a big hit or not, but like, it, it's felt like the easiest way to approach this is just to follow that Fortunately, this was before the games industry uh, really, truly learned how to do sequels. Yeah. And by that, I mean, is it even the same company that they had make this game? It is. Yeah, it's still That's Ocean. good. Yeah, it's still And they Ocean. just... Nothing they, kept from the first game. Well, basically what they did is they went from like a pretty good Mario clone to a pretty bad Zelda clone, I think. And that's that's not really the move that you want to be making. Yeah, so the game now stars Fester, uh, which makes this, if you're counting uh, at home, the second video game featuring Fester as a main character. So go Fester, I guess. Um, but it is a top-down kind of action RPG in the same vein as Legend of Zelda and... It's a lot of kind of wandering around dungeons looking for keys, uh, which is a real oversimplification of what makes Zelda work. And I think that's kind of the whole problem with this game in general is that it is it's too basic and also too hard. And endless dialogue boxes that have bad, not even bad jokes, but like 
jokes without charm yeah. punchlines without jokes like it's just so you're like if you're gonna have all this dialogue write a write a fucking joke yeah and it's also like they're trying to hit on that like adam's family style and then just never quite getting there so the the first game was clearly using the sprites from the original TV show. Like these were based on those actors and like they didn't really have the licensing rights to the movie. This one definitely has the rights to the movie. Like the actors appear in the dialogue boxes, but the overworld renditions of them look very cartoony and very different, which gives the game its own like little flavor. Like I don't think this game looks bad. I think it looks quite nice in a lot of places. Why is Fester wearing no. beige? I mean, why does anybody wear beige? You, you wear if he wears you black, wanna, you wouldn't be able to... It'd be very hard to see him I, on like the screen. Like, throw gray Especially on. in, like, the dungeons, yeah. yeah. They, there's ways around that. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, they make him beige. Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> Justin, that's I don't know what to do. The whole right. point was no beige. Make him black, okay, and then his shadow underneath him is also black, and then you're like, why does he look like this? Yeah. Like, he's... <laughs> No, I think um, I have not honestly played a lot of like uh, games of this era that I find terribly fun. Okay. Like this feels, I, I get like, and I guess maybe I should play the. Yeah, though, I hate to break it to you, but it's because most of them aren't fun. <laughs> right. So I feel like. Especially the ones we're playing for this show. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, I mean, I feel like it's a, you know, it's a poor Zelda clone, but that being said. I don't have a terribly fun time playing Zelda because it's mostly wandering on a big map trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go. Sure. Uh, getting really confused with my buttons over and over and then like the collision boxes of like walls and like the path you're supposed to take. It's all, you know, not... And you open the map on even, accident. Yeah, bad dialogue. Honestly, like any Final Fantasy game on like Super Nintendo era is just like, it's way too much dialogue. Yeah. These fights are like, I mean, I guess they got... They had so those many are, games to finally get good at fights, though. They were those mostly are, annoying. Those are telling more compelling stories, I would argue. Like Final Fantasy VI yeah, yeah. is one of my yeah, favorite I mean, games uh, ever. The story I'm of this about game. Like Final Fantasy III or like oh, yeah, shoot, yeah, the, the OGs. Yeah, yeah. Before, yeah. When you created your own character because it didn't matter. Yes, yes. Um, uh, the story of this particular game is you are Fester and you are trying to reclaim the baby from Debbie, who apparently has stolen the baby. And this is an alternate timeline, yeah. and it's not technically really like. Movie yeah, related. they they don't adapt the plot of the movie very directly, but they do <clears throat> include like the new characters, and they make uh, Debbie the antagonist, which is you know obviously the move to go with. And like in the first game, you stay on the Adams family grounds the entire time, you know, which is a good setting for a video game because it is this palatial estate with lots of little hidden bits, you know. And J Ben, I know you were really loving all the different secrets that you could find in the first game. Ugh. Yes, and the game was so much fun. I didn't feel such a delight. I didn't feel as compelled to explore in this one, and this, I don't think this one had that many little it secrets. Um, like I think um, the opening of the game, like immediately you open, you go to a dungeon, you do a boss, and a completely unimaginative like three um, dungeon area, and it's just so boring. Yeah, it's just, it's just like it's so boring. There's like. Um, everything in this game, uh, like we have played a lot of games, uh, and like very rarely, like I'm usually watching them and being like, I'm usually into it, even if it's a really shitty game, like, um, uh, Wayne's World. Sure. Uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. name some shitty games. Yeah. yeah we've uh, had a few. Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Blues yeah. Brothers. Yeah. 
Blues Brothers? Wasn't that bad. Was there three? Was there two, two for the Blues first Brothers. one, well, and we, then Blues Brothers two? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's so exactly there was three right. total, yeah. and they yeah. were no, there were mid. two. Wait. There were two for the first movie, and yeah. then one for the second yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, I better not turn straight by the end of this podcast. <laughs> it's already happened. Uh, oh. it's, you've, been, so, you've been bit by uh, a were bro. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's like all of the worst parts of a dungeon crawler. And none of the best parts. You don't get like equipment. You don't get like upgrades. You just get an extra skull, which is more health. I was going to say that. And that that seemed to be about it. That's a big. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So the biggest problem for me with this game uh, isn't that it's awful because I don't like it. Mm. Uh, It's the fact that it doesn't capture the spirit of the Adams family. Even the terrible game that we played last week. Attempted to capture the spirit of the Adams family. Wait, you just called it a terrible game. The NES well, was, version. The yeah. NES game was yeah. terrible. Oh, Remember, we played two games last I week. I repressed that memory. <laughs> but, like, so we played the SNES game, the Super Nintendo, yes. and then we played the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, like, they both tried to capture the spirit of, of wandering around in these awesome, like, beautiful gothic architecture being gothy and being having fun and being like really living in the world this like the music actually isn't that bad no uh but the it's just the doesn't the game is a lot of um it doesn't delve into sort of that gothic architecture that would really benefit an adams family game right and yeah it, it was lacking some of that and like like you were saying justin like I feel like the appeal of a Zelda game for me isn't just exploring the map. It's the fact that like you start off weak and then you get cool new equipment. You get cool new weapons. Gadgets you get noticeably stronger and... as you go. In um, this game, you have one attack and then it stays your one attack. Oh, but what happens when you have more health, Steve? Well, if you have more health, it then just your little lightning longer. bolt is oh. slightly longer and more oh. powerful. Oh, so you get stronger as you go through the game. Oh my! But, but you get weaker as you go through the game because you're gonna get hit by little if you're walking hit, bitch. Yes, bitch. Uh, I'm gonna get hit. Problem. So I, I think the main thing is that in in many games that are similar to this, there's at least some form of variety. To yeah, it. yeah. Things change. You get a weapon that now is ranged, or you get a weapon that you throw. Like there are things that change up, and because of these, they can have boss fights that are different. Yeah. With much more permutations of ways you have to handle it. Right. Whereas this game seemed to not have much of that at all. We, Your whole strategy is just shoot lightning, try not to get hit. Shoot lightning, try not to get hit. Yeah. You know? It's like it's like Dark Souls, but worse. I don't know. I Okay. It, I don't like, think this was a good game, but I feel like the criticisms y'all are giving of it are very strange. What game is not hit and avoid? Like, but, oh, okay, <laughs> but I mean, I guess what I mean is that like... One for weapon, bosses, one attack. Like, that first boss was like plant based. That like you know we it took us looking it up a couple of times. Some of us too figure out like when the punch was coming or when a swing Look, was coming. I don't think we needed that. Info. But, but again, and like, yet I hey I didn't play it. But then we saw the last boss was spoiler alert. Last boss is like this gargoyle thing, and then as you're fighting, it looks honestly like the um, boss from Samus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Metroid, and then yeah, it gets yeah. killed, and then it's smaller ones, and the smaller ones split. So like it's this circle pattern that that, that wasn't one. interesting. Like, and they have different type of enemies. I, but, but I think I this guess game the, just, the thing I, is like it, since this game is so insistent on being a Zelda clone, like it's really trying to capture that Zelda market. 
Zelda mixes things up. You have to use a different strategy for each boss. You have to use a, a Zelda game is also, also 20 hours. I believe this yeah. game feels like it was half done when the movie came out and they realize it's not going to make money. So they just like tied it up quickly. Yeah. And I, considering that, I think it it's was fair. Like a, it was a two hour game uh, in with the the general gameplay variety was pretty low although the the boss game the bosses in some areas seem to be different i would get very but... high and listen to like an audiobook on <laughs> like speakers and then just play this game and i think it'd be fun like it's not a game i'm getting into it's mm -hmm. obviously not about the lore mm. it's just a silly game to say that i like it's not a game i'm ever going to recommend to someone but like the music's neat enough yeah. and like you Look. know they had rain they had lightning like they yeah, actually, honestly, having the rain was pretty cool. Yeah, like um, it, it was. No, it's a it's a nice enough for game to era. look at. Yeah, um, yeah I the, think it, the it visuals just didn't, it didn't aren't grab bad. Me. I feel yeah. like yeah, just but the, so many the games the art from this style era was all right. Boring. Yeah, <laughs> yes. we have to say this. We're it was coming just off, boring. Ba off the back of a really good game. Apparently, mm. I, yeah. I I think it I think it was all right, <laughs> but so much fun. Uh. It definitely like this game had music and visuals, and then that was the majority of it. I guess I appreciate um, that it kept itself two hours yeah. because yeah, something like this could have been the good part. They could have done another hour of walking, and they could have made another hour of walking back. It could have been there the was Roger a the Rabbit situation. Yeah. Oh. Yes, where yeah, where it's just randomly generating clues, so like you can either beat the game in five minutes or twenty five. So years. The, the thing about Roger Rabbit is that all the clues are randomly there's. You go into buildings and it's like a motel or a hotel and each room has like six different places you can search, but all of the clues are randomly placed in any of those anywhere. Okay. So it's like you just go into 14 hotels and ransack every room and hope that you get clues early. Uh, and if you don't, then just restart the game. You do yeah. what we did where you play the game for about 30 minutes and get no clues. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, wildly frustrating. At least this game is more consistent. And then and we watched a walkthrough of it, and the first thing they search has a clue, and we're like, you motherfucker. How, yeah. How dare you? How we dare. did 30 Wait, minutes. Let it go, Justin. We don't ever have to go back there. It's dead. It's, it's dead. dead. It's dead. It got buried. run over and taken by weasels. Yeah, it's dead. <laughs> it's gonna, it'll live forever uh, in do, my brain. Like, so the thing, I do uh, I do like the tiny villain uh, game design in this game. Yeah. I do I do love me some tiny villains. Sure. Especially because I always find tiny villains harder than big villains. Mm. Uh, so I do think there was a nice amount of variety in the tiny villains. Um, yeah, I like the little rock monster guys that look like little Frankensteins. Yeah. 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 I feel like they they started to behave kind of similarly, but at least they were changing something. But again, the the progression, so. I'm I'm going to keep harping on it, but like the level progression was just so rote. It's just go to this dungeon, beat a boss, get a key. Use the door to use the key to unlock the door. Now do it again. Do it again. You're not getting you're not growing, you're not developing it's, new you're, skills. You're you're opening a door, you're you're getting again. a key, you're opening a door, you're taking an item from inside, Which and then you're just giving that item to someone else so they let you through. Which is true. Which is true. That's what boring yeah, games but are. No, that's what all boring of that is workable if there's atmosphere and charm. That's yeah. what I'm saying. This yeah. is my opinion. I hate Witcher 3. It is so boring. And when I watch other people play it, it looks like just uh, the, the retrieving quest. You should play Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I just like you. I don't think you would enjoy it. <laughs> no. You don't know me, Justin. I, hey, you know I don't. I there is a, a lot of gayness in Baldur's Gate. There 3. is a lot of. No, I have, a, I have a lot of friends Gate. that play Baldur's Gate, 3, but they're all yeah. pervert friends. I don't. Oh yeah. I don't know many gamer gamers that. Well, yeah. 
They're all pervert hey. friends. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. They're all fucking a bear. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, let's move on. Uh, I think. Uh, do we have any final thoughts on uh, on the game here before we wrap up? I mean, needs more cowbell. Needs more cowbell. Always. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's move on to our ranking part of the episode. Uh, this is where we decide if this is a good movie, good game, a bad movie, bad game, or some permutation in between. Uh, I am going to start us off by saying that it is a great movie, uh, pretty boring game. Um, I think, you know, I, 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 I've cited my evidence. I stand by my point. J-Ben, how about you? Uh, I think this is a very good movie and a fair game. All right, all right. You're more generous with it than I was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was a good movie, and I think the game, uh, I'll say it was a bad game, but it was not in the realm of bad games that we have normally played. No. It's kind of like, it's the one that's kind of floating near the top of just like, it, I think it's worse than meh. Yeah. And so it ends up there. Okay, yeah. So like a soft, like a soft one. When I say fair, I also want to emphasize that this game is boring. Uh, but it's functional which is not always guaranteed that's true (laughs) it's a fairly boring boring piece of shit there you go Uh, where do you come down it should also be noted Hayato was better at this game than all three of us so like you made most of the progress that we made was uh, from you so I mean yeah so that's the thing is like it feels like a playable game I think uh, I probably would have gotten maybe an hour and a half in before I'm like this is too difficult and or too boring yeah but at that point i think i would have been like close to two-thirds of the game so um like playable like it's you know it's it's not going to be rewarding play but if you want to play it for some reason it's doable it won't be the worst game you play on whatever whatever uh conquest you're trying to do to play these terrible old boring games you might find yourself doing <laughs> yeah whatever whatever tilting at windmills you might be doing wholesome yeah. podcasts that force you to play these games yeah. yeah whatever archive you're going through of old games that you play this one will be a playable one yeah yeah definitely yeah. not the worst uh, but, but yeah, yeah exceptional movie great yeah. i mean honestly like top 10 um, easily a top five one to like recommend to people it's it's wholesome it's dirty it's uh wholesome and dirty yeah. somehow yeah. yeah it's wholesome and dirty it walks that line yeah i think that's a perfect lots description of holes in it. <laughs> <laughs> well that concludes our mini series on the adams family live action films now i'm going to do a caveat here and also kind of exercise my executive power there is a game based on the more recent adams family animated film from 2018 But I've decided to shunt that one off because next week is the beginning of October. And I get real nerdy around October and I want to play a bunch of horror movie games and watch a bunch of horror movies. So that is what we are going to be doing for the entire month of October. And we are starting next week with a movie that I think is near and dear to our hearts or at least very near and dear to where our hearts currently reside. Because we are playing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, it's the, the the 1975 film, and then there is two games that we'll talk about. One of which came out for the Atari 2600. And one of which just came out. One of the other of which just oh. came out for the PS5. And we'll be uh, talking about both of those. So, very excited about that one. Yeah. This is... I. And then... I've buckle in for a month of spookies. It's going to yeah, be a good time. I've seen a lot of the staple horror movies at this point. Uh, it's a recent thing for me the last couple of years. But this is one that we never did. 
you you so. haven't seen this oh, one you yet. Haven't seen I haven't it. Seen okay. It. Oh, no. amazing. Yeah, you're gonna have a you're you're, you're gonna have a time with this. I one. I think that the one of the more modern ones I saw like a a, a snippet of channel surfing. You could skip like pretty but, much all the sequels, but this, uh, yeah yeah that's what I was getting from the part that I was watching. Um, yeah. Well, there's a straight up like remake one that. Yeah, the remake one is notoriously bad. There's like three oh. remakes. They've they've rebooted With, it like uh, so many times. Matthew McConaughey. No, there was uh, there wasn't anyone famous in the one that I saw. Yeah, the, the, the there was the, I think a pretty recent one that felt there was a new Netflix one that came out like last year. Maybe that that's was, what it was. That was bad. Yeah. Bad? yeah. Okay. But, oh, I just remember it being like surprising. I also watched the first one and was just like, what? Why is this a big deal? Hey, <laughs> they just honestly looked like the unluckiest teenagers ever. We, I wasn't so much scared. It's just like, damn. I, I we will get into it next week. <laughs> why it's such a big deal? And I I think the big thing with a lot of these older horror movies is that. It's the same thing that we think about with other that we don't think about with other things is uh, we are seeing the modern horror movies now and then going back and watching these and going, oh, I don't get it. But these no. were the first ones. No, it's these not just the, the first one. It's like horror from the dawn of time from ancient Greece is about having terrible luck, like mm-hmm. the having bad fortuna. Like it, like the, the thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like it is terrible luck and sometimes you're just fucked yeah you're just proper fucked because you walk down the wrong road and that's the way life is that's the way j-ban lives her life (laughs) you walk down the wrong street j-ban's gonna kick your ass yeah it's true it's true all right well we will see you all next week hi Alter. thank you so much for being here yeah Yeah, i really appreciate it. do you have anything you'd like to plug or let anybody know about no. All right. Well, either way, uh, I'm going to plug that Hayato is a great guy. And uh, we're happy that you were able to come on and talk about this movie yeah, with us. So thank you for joining us. Uh, all right, y'all. We will see you next week for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Vroom, vroom. Vroom, vroom.